Well, good morning again. If you uh, hopefully received the, the newsletter, you got the message that uh, today's sermon will have some mature content to it. Um, there won't be anything graphic that I'm going to talk about, but just that there could be some ideas or some words that I speak out that uh, for younger children, they might have questions that you as parents might not be ready to answer. So I'm just kind of uh, putting that disclaimer out there. Again, it's not rated R or anything like that. It's, you know, nothing graphic, but there is some mature content. We're looking at just one verse today, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We're in a series for those who are, who are brand new or tuning in, uh, who have never tuned in before. Um, we're We've been in Ephesians for a while, and we probably will be in Ephesians right through into the new year because we're just taking our time uh, doing one or two verses at a time, maybe three. Today we're just doing one verse, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. And I'll start out by reading the verse. It goes like this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now the NIV version, that was the ESV, the NIV version of the Bible that many of us, if we've been Christians for some time, uh, you know, kind of started with a lot of the, the, the verses that I have memorized um, or NIV, but it puts it this way. I think it's a little more clear. It says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Pretty awesome verse when I first read it in 1989 and kind of put the fear of God in me, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Now, it's unclear if Paul, who is the writer of the letter to the Ephesian church, uh, the book of Ephesians, it's unclear if Paul had in mind the love of money and material things when using the word covetousness. I'm not really sure. Um, it's probably that he meant coveting or lusting after that which is sexually forbidden. It seems to be the, the idea in the verse. Um, again, I could be wrong, but I'll be treating the verse in this more narrow sense of sexual purity. And I just feel like there's not time even uh, to deal with the subject of greed and covetousness, general covetousness. Um, that's a much larger matter to explore in another sermon on another day. But in this one verse, we are urged toward a sexual ethic very different than the world around us. I'll be essentially answering two questions. I'm going to touch on a lot of different things. Um, there was so much content that I could... I just... I've been preparing this for about two weeks, actually, but there's just so much that I could say. I'm just trying to say the most important things uh, this morning, but I'm looking at these two main questions. What exactly is God's idea of sexual purity? And secondly, how can we be pure in an impure world? Before I dive into this, I want to just give a little preface and confess my limitations as a Man, this message will probably be more applicable to men than women. It's not because uh, women don't struggle with sexual temptation. They absolutely do. But because they are designed physically and uh, psychologically different than men, God's design is different, the struggles play out in different ways. Uh, so being a man, I am obviously more equipped to speak to the struggles of fellow men, but I do believe that women will benefit from this message, 
and I think will be comforted as well. I also think it's good for men and women to understand each other's unique struggles so that we can support one another. But I'll say the very best instruction for women on these matters will come from women. Um, Again, just confessing my limitations. As Scripture teaches, the older women should teach the younger. So to the younger uh, women in our community, I would recommend seeking out older women mentors, women of God who have come into the fullness of purity in their lives. Uh, There are many in this church, Uh, so seek them out. I also want to say at the outset that sexual purity for many people, for many Christians, is a real struggle, a daily battle. Some carry a burden of bondage and guilt that weighs them down heavily. Some have failed terribly over and over through the years. Despair, there's kind of a despair in them that they will just ever really be able to overcome, kind of slay this internal monster that just uh, assaults them so continually. The sinful desire feels so ingrained, it torments them. Um, I've counseled so many young men through the years. I've been in ministry probably, gosh, a long time, you know, 25 years. I started in the mid to late 90s, uh, actually mid-90s, doing campus ministry up in Boston. So it's been, it's been quite a few years, and I've counseled a lot of men, and just so many feel like they're up against something that feels impossible to overcome. But this message this morning, if received, can set you on a path, if that's you who is uh, struggling, it can set you on a path of freedom. There is freedom. Uh, it is God's plan for us to be free. It doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle, but we can be free. We can be conquerors over sin. We can be overcomers, as Scripture gives us that vision constantly. Second Peter chapter 1 reminds us that we have been given everything we need to live a godly life. Thank God for that. The Lord is merciful and long-suffering with us. He's on our side and will bring us into victory in time. One of my favorite verses is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says, After you've suffered for a while, the Lord will establish you and settle you and strengthen you. Uh, There is, especially for the new Christian, the new Christian man, uh, there can be a season of intense battle against the flesh, your sinful, old sinful nature that just doesn't want to give up control to the new life of the Spirit. So that kind of early stage of conflict within, uh, it can be really intense. And thankfully, it doesn't last forever. Eventually, the Spirit of God begins to really take control of your life, and you get that victory. Now, many of the things that I will share in this teaching, I imagine, will already be understood by many of you who are listening this morning, many of the older saints. But I will say to, uh, to youth and young adults, I think this will be very beneficial, um, relevant, because I, I think that this uh, generation, maybe even more than the sexual revolution of the late 60s, is just sexually confused. There's a lot of confusion. I'm not talking about just people outside the walls of the church, but Christians in America are very confused about sexual matters, probably because the culture is so confused and it's just kind of overflowing its banks into the the minds of, of Christians. It's more urgent than ever for young Christians to have a clear sexual ethic and to understand also that it will be counterculture. In fact, of all of the aspects of the Christian faith, we are laughed at for. I mean, we're laughed at for a lot of things. I think sometimes just 
focusing so much on eternal things makes us a little weird, right? You know, I think Christians can just be weird. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in that category. Just, you know, just especially if you've been in it for, for years, you know, decades, and you just kind of, you know, you're just focused on eternal things and hanging out with just Christians. Yeah, makes us a little weird. But that aside, I think above all the things that we believe, the thing that we get laughed at for the most is our sexual ethic. We're laughed at for being prudish, for being old-fashioned. For teens and young adults, this social humiliation is even greater. Society respects that we have decided to uh, maybe not abuse alcohol, or they commend us for our financial integrity. They admire our generosity toward the poor or for being honest people. They're inspired by our ability to forgive, but they simply laugh at our sexual ethics. For example, a 19-year-old guy in a locker room telling a room full of experienced peers that he has not even kissed a girl yet and doesn't plan to until marriage would evoke enormous ridicule, to say the least. Sexual purity makes people feel really uncomfortable. And Scripture talks directly to this. Uh, Again, 1 Peter for some reason, I keep going back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 to 5 say this, and I'll expound it a little bit as I read it, but it just has to be read. It's so fitting. It says, For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And he gives the list. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. He's saying in so many words, Our days are over of living like that. Then he says, with respect to this, by this he means this refusal to do these things, you know, our new way of living as being sexually pure and being done with those kinds of activities. With respect to this, They, in other words, the people around us who don't know God, don't care about God's laws, they are, back to the scripture here, it says, they are surprised when you do not join join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The NIV says they heap abuse on you. I mean, come on, how many have been in that situation? I remember, well, I won't give the specifics of it because it's a, it's a local establishment, but I remember just, I wasn't flaunting my ideas of purity or whatever, but it, you know, people ask questions, they like to poke you and probe you, especially in the workplace, and I just remember being absolutely ridiculed for having the ideas that I had about, about purity in the workplace. It's an uncomfortable feeling. Um, it's not a hardcore persecution where people are killing us for that. There are other theological ideas that evoke more serious persecution, but I think it's just kind of a, a tough one socially to fit into culture, holding on to our sexual ethic. Well, we should expect this to become worse in the days ahead. The great misunderstanding that the world has about the Christian faith in this regard is thinking that it encourages being afraid of sex or that somehow the Christian faith is against sex. Uh, That is not true at all. Um, sex is good. God designed it. It's, 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 he's the one that came up with it. It's his idea. It's a beautiful and a holy thing meant to be enjoyed fully, creatively, and passionately by a man and a woman who are married. 
It's designed to bond them together in deep and mysterious ways. And of course, to make new humans in an environment of family, love, and commitment. So it's precisely this high view of sex that leads us as Christians to not trifle with it or to not cheapen it in any way. Now let's just talk about society for a couple minutes. We live in a sex-crazed society. It seems that the idea of sex or the suggestion of sex comes from every direction. It is found in every nook and cranny of American society. TV and movies provide an unceasing fountain of suggestive content. Social media can be a myriad of portholes into unclean content. Pornographic and provocative content is so easily accessible, all you have to do is type a word and click, and you're right in Satan's domain. It's not just easy to find, it finds us. It comes into our mailboxes. It's the billboard we pass by on the highway. It's a commercial during a football game. It's the poster in a store window. It's certain popular fashions designed to tantalize or show off what should, be, what should not be revealed. This struggle is very real in our society. You know, living pure in this society is the great challenge of our age. What makes it more uh, strange and challenging is that all of this has become normal in society, or most of it, I should say. Again, just listing suggestive selfies, even teens, teen girls sending teen boys inappropriate uh, pictures of themselves. This kind of stuff is happening. Inappropriate YouTube videos. I mean, probably millions of them being made. Seductive commercials and ads. You're watching a decent show. You're watching a sports event. And boom, something really inappropriate pops on the screen. Of course, pornography. And our nation creates most of the pornography for the planet and spews its filth all over the world. We are the hub of pornography. The practice of homosexuality has now become normalized in our society. The joking and trivializing of sexual things in disgusting ways, it's normal. Men watching girls with brazen lust and discussing what they see and what they'd like to do. This is normal. Lusting in the mind, normal, natural. Fantasizing about being with someone sexually, normal. Adultery has now even become somewhat acceptable. You know, if you're really unhappy in your marriage, then, you know, go for someone else. And Hollywood certainly certainly encourages that. It's hard to even find a magazine not polluted with sexual immorality. Sex acts on TV are now, they've now become so normal that even kids shows, even kids shows include uh, sexual banter, kind of pushing the envelope, or sex that's implied. It has crept into the comic world and video games. I mean, most men are conditioned from an early age to think of women a certain way as objects to be used for selfish pleasure. And again, most of this has become normal and is even considered natural. Just let that sink in for a moment. But society's encouragement to uh, do what is natural has led to horrifying addictions to pornography. It has even put young 
children, young boys, young girls in bondage at such young ages, 10, 11, 12 years old, already addicted. It has led to sexual abuse in the workplace, broken relationships, sexual assault in our society, the exploitation of children. I could give specific examples, but I just, you know, I don't even want to go there. I'm just giving a general list, but this, this is some of what it's led to. It's led to a, a multi-billion dollar sex trafficking industry. Again, the United States being mainly responsible for that. It has destroyed the confidence of young men and has objectified and damaged women. It has caused women to feel violated and unsafe. This one sin has done more to destroy healthy relationships than any other sin. It has done violence to the family, which is the foundation of a strong society. I'm terrified thinking about where all this could go in 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, just in my lifetime, I'm 53, just thinking about even the way, and I, I was born in 67, kind of at the... Uh, cost by gas or the peak or whatever of the sexual revolution. So I, you know, but still thinking about television and movies and kind of what was acceptable in terms of billboards or ads when I was growing up in the 70s, again, which was pretty wild compared to the 1950s. It had progressed a lot. But now even just in this in my lifetime, seeing how much further it has gone. I mean, where, where does it end? I don't even want to think. But despite how entrenched our sex-crazed American society becomes, the call to sexual purity remains the same from generation to generation. God doesn't bend it. Oh, oh this, is a, this generation is really impure, so therefore I'm going to lower the standard for my people. No, he never lowers the standard. The law is the law is the law of Scripture. And we can't bend it to suit our particular struggles or what's happening in our generation. The Christian sexual ethic stands today in stark contrast to what has become normal in society. I'll just give you a few verses. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. 2 Corinthians 7 Verse 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Or 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 11 says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. I love that because it's like as as a peculiar people, as people that are just kind of passing through, as people who don't feel at home in this world. I mean, Jesus said that, right? Even as I am not of this world, you are not going to be of this world. You're to be in the world, but not of the world. You're going to be different, very different, Jesus taught us. And Peter is just kind of echoing Jesus's teaching here, saying, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. If you're a Christian and you have felt that being sexually pure is not easy, then you're, you're probably in a good place. 
it means you're really, truly fighting against it. Anyone who says, eh, it's not really that big of a deal for me, probably is entrenched in it and blind to it in ways that they don't even realize. It is a fight, as this verse brings out. It's a war against the soul from within. We're not even talking about uh, the realm of the demonic and Satan tempting us and throwing fiery darts of temptation at us. We're not even, we're not even talking about that. Just from within, this sinful nature can war against your very soul. It is a battle. Jesus goes much further than an ethic of outward abstinence. He says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's not talking about just the outward. He's talking about the way we think about women. He's speaking to men here. He's saying, this is what Jesus is saying, that the man should think of women as daughters or sisters or mothers with absolute purity. He should think of them in an honorable way as beautiful people made by the Lord. This ethic flows out of a renewed mind, a mind that thinks the way Jesus thinks about women. It doesn't mean we don't notice beauty, by the way. God creates beautiful things and beautiful people. It doesn't mean that we will not feel even a physical attraction at times with certain people. But in those moments, the mind no longer follows a path of lust but thinks noble thoughts. The mind does not entertain impure thoughts, but turns to God immediately, taking every thought captive, right? Even if we feel something physically, a physical attraction or a temptation that, that feels physical, we begin to pray. We begin to call on God. We begin to remember the word of God. That's the new way of thinking as Christians. Now, if I can be just pastoral for a moment here. I just want to be so clear about what is proper for followers of Jesus called to purity and holiness. As I mentioned, there's a lot of confusion about this in our generation. There seems to be younger Christians casting off what they consider, you know, the old-fashioned restrictions of, you know, grandma or something. Listen, I just want to be really clear. Any sort of physical activity outside of marriage that arouses sexual desire should be carefully avoided. I should even add any sort of mental activity because you can just be sitting in a closed room with four white walls and you can just go there mentally and arouse all of that should be carefully avoided. That is a slippery slope. This obviously means sexual intercourse and other blatant sexual activity. But listen, it also includes passionately kissing or fully clothed hugging. I know what I'm talking about because I've done premarital counseling over and over and over and over through the years, and I've counseled enough men to know that even the godly will fall in this regard. Don't even turn the faucet on. All of this is reserved for the man and woman in marriage covenant. It is not to be played with. You know, like the verse, the Proverbs says, can a man heap burning coals in his lap without being burned, like don't play with fire. Again, some Christians seem to get confused about this and think that intercourse is forbidden, but other things are okay. But any kind of physical or mental interaction that arouses should be avoided. And listen, there's some divine logic to this. If you really think about it, 
Um, isn't it foolish to arouse something that cannot be resolved? It leads to what? Temptation, frustration, condemnation. There's no fruit in it. Couples that, you know, stumble and fall into, into sexual impurity. They, you know, there's, there's now tension. There's a cloud over them. There's, there's a, you know, there's, there's even fighting sometimes. Again, just it's, don't even turn the faucet on a little. Not even a hint. It's for after marriage. Now, I want to spend the last part of this teaching providing some practical instruction on how to be pure in an impure society that is getting worse and worse. The process of thinking in a new way about sex and about people we are attracted to takes, takes some time and takes effort. And I'm going to give you some wisdom. For some, listen, this change of mind will be easier. It's just the truth. And for others, it will be much harder. For example, some of you have been blessed. You should thank God daily for this, that you were blessed by uh, being raised in households that taught you from an early age. Some of you men, think about this. You've been taught from an early age to honor women as daughters of God, that they are to be treated with care and with, with love and with respect. This way of thinking may have been reinforced thousands of times because your dad was this way or an older brother or you were in a great Christian community. In other words, you never went far down the road of thinking of women as objects. Thank God for that. Others, however, were exposed to pornography at a young age, maybe by an older brother, even in some cases I've heard by fathers, um, there, sometimes there can be sexual abuse that was done against them or that they did to other people. But it was modeled from an early age, just this kind of thinking of women in a way that reduces them to objects of pleasure. And some of us come from that background. You may have related to women this way in actual relationships, devoid of any real desire to love and cherish them. This mindset of, of objectifying women, listen, it can go deep into the mindset of many men because it is shaped over decades and there are patterns. I mean, even child development, right? You know, so much of who we are is shaped as you know, when we're children and we're so impressionable and so much is kind of wired into the way we think uh, some of that happens from a very, very early age. So the struggle is going to be much more intense uh, for that individual. Because people have had differing backgrounds, I'd like to just say um, that those who do struggle need compassion and understanding. And so we want to be careful not to judge people. Uh, for struggling. As I mentioned before, many of God's people are in despair over this. Um, they don't need to be yelled at or scolded. They, they, they need to be taught. They need to be encouraged. They need to be helped, uh, carried. Uh, what makes this particular sin so dangerous is it has an addictive quality. You know, it's like a drug or sugar. Uh, it's, it's, it's never really satisfied. A sort of tolerance is built up. A lust for more extreme experiences uh, can, can, can develop. It can be a real mess for people. What is needed above all is a new way of thinking about sex and about those who we may be physically attracted to. Romans 12 comes to mind. that talks about the renewing of the mind, right? You can look it up, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, but just this whole new way of thinking that God shapes inside of us. You know, for men, this is a process of reshaping the way they think of women. Yes, you know, this kind of thought, yes, yes, she is beautiful. The Lord, the Lord himself made this beauty. Uh, this woman is a daughter of God. She has a mother and a father. She has great worth, is fearfully and wonderfully made. She is to be treated with utmost honor. This is the kind of new thinking that is formed in the man of God. 
Now, this new way of thinking about each other affects our relationships profoundly. Adultery and fornication become, listen, not merely forbidden desires of things that we really secretly would love to do, but they actually become repulsive to us when we really think about it. These acts of cheap sex are viewed as completely out of step with love and honor. In this way, the church, this new community of people who have experienced Jesus, it becomes the safest place for women to be. And I think that was part of God's intent. Now, or, or at least it should be. Now, especially in America, because there's so much problems with sexual immorality, even within church circles, we've, we've kind of lost some serious ground in that. But this should be, uh, this is God's vision uh, for the community of the redeemed, that we would be distinct from the world and a safe place uh, for women. It would be a community where men treat younger women as little sisters and older women as mothers, a community where women don't feel objectified, but feel cherished, a community where women are not violated with lustful eyes, but are viewed as the daughters of God, treasured for their inherent worth of being made by God himself. This new way of thinking, of course, paves the way for healthy relationships in marriage. That being said, while we are in process of being renewed, because this doesn't happen overnight, especially if you've really gone down those dark paths before you were a Christian and you become a Christian, uh, don't expect it to take a week. Um, it's going to take quite a while to begin to think differently about women. So there are practical aspects of being careful that Scripture urges just speaking to the men, we have to be mindful of what we expose our minds to and our eyes. Again, we can't avoid seeing beautiful women in the world. Uh, we can't leave the world altogether or put our head in the sand or just you know, live out in the desert, though sometimes maybe we want to do that, become monks. Uh, but when a beautiful woman is framed as a sexual object in Hollywood or an ad or an album cover or selfie in social media, it can have an effect of making us think in a certain way about that person. It kind of encourages us to think a certain sinful way about women. I think a good test is to assess whether you have any shock or like the book of Jeremiah talks about blush when you see a woman framed as a sex object. Something inside you should be grieved to see that. The scriptures don't tell us uh, just to adopt a new way of thinking about sexual matters, but also emphatically urges us to stay away from things that tempt us. This is a principle that I think sometimes men seem to miss from the scriptures. They're just expecting that, well, you know, I'm a man of God. No, I have the Holy Spirit. I should be able to handle handle pretty much anything. Well, that's not really scriptural at all. God doesn't teach us that. The Bible says things like this. Flee. Make no provision for the flesh. Do not even go near the door of her house. Keep to a path far from her. Take firm paths for your feet. Don't put yourself in a tempting situation. And if you find yourself in a situation that's tempting, here's what to do. Get out of there. Quick. As in run. I mean, I think about the story of Joseph, right, in the Bible, who had his boss's wife come on to him really strongly. He didn't just stand there and just like pray a prayer and, uh, you know, or quietly say, get behind me, Satan. He literally took off as she was like tearing at his garments. The guy just got out of there. And this was a godly man. He didn't just stand there and say, you know, I can handle this. I'm not even tempted by her. She's not even attracted. attractive. No, he, he just got out of the situation. This is biblical. 
I really want to end with some wisdom on navigating the image jungle. How can we stay pure in the world of TV, movies, social media, visual posters, billboards, internet advertisements everywhere? We're bombarded. How do we do this? It seems almost impossible to try to separate ourselves completely from any exposure to suggestive images unless we live on another planet, which sometimes I really would like to do. But some, I think there can be some limitations that you give yourself. You know, some have gone back to a flip phone. Not a bad idea for certain reasons. Some have cut the cable or even removed the TV from their house. Some have thrown out their computers. I mean, some of us have jobs that we kind of need computers, but some don't. And they're just like, you know what? This thing is making me stumble into sin. I'm getting rid of it. Throw it in the trash. These extreme acts of separation may be good for a while until our mind is renewed. You have to know yourself. I think Tiffany and I went, I would say, about a decade before we even had TV. It was just good to sort of flush all of that out just completely and sort of separate ourselves from it. It's a good idea. When the kids were little, we, we just, oh, we thought, oh, let's get cable. You know, that's a good idea. You know, more shows, kids shows, and all these different options. And, and yeah, that didn't last long because uh, I realized this is not a good idea. And we cut the cable. I think I literally, with scissors, cut the cable to make it like there's no going back. And it was a decision that was good for us. Um, but each of us has to figure out what was best, what is best for us in each season. We can't avoid images completely. So here, I want to leave you. This is my three uh, final thoughts. Three principles, and there are more that I could talk about, but just three simple principles that have helped me navigate the jungle of images. Moderation, selectiveness, and vigilance. And I'll just be brief on these three things. Moderation. What I mean by moderation is the practice of keeping your daily intake of images, in other words, TV, movies, screen time, social media, scrolling, internet surfing, to a minimum. Some of us grew up in houses where the TV was just literally on. It was turned on in the morning, and it just was on all day long. It's like a certain comfort to that or whatever. Don't do that. Maybe limit yourself to a short block of TV. Maybe it's an hour a day where you watch some kind of show or whatever. But create, you need boundaries. Create healthy boundaries and limits. Learn how to unplug. Because, listen, excessive image indulgence will desensitize you and cause you to get used to impure content. And that's dangerous. Second thing is this, selectiveness. The second principle I want to talk about, that it's unwise, for example, to just mindlessly flip the channels. This is kind of what I was doing when I had cable. You know, I was like, there's how many channels, 70 channels or whatever there was, I can't even remember. And I'm just like, you know, kind of tired. You know, your guard's down a bit. You're just kind of exhausted from the day. You're just like, poop, flipping, flipping, flipping. And, you know, I'm not, if there's something inappropriate, of course, well, I'm not going to watch that. You know, I should probably flip to the next, you know. And it's like my reaction's a little slower. You know, maybe it took me three or four seconds. But now I'm putting that image in my mind. Just not wise. Not wise. We have to be in more control. We can't just like jump in there and just try to find stuff. Uh, there are rabbit holes of curiosity that you can go down on social media. But listen, expect to find serpents that will bite you. Don't pick up a random magazine in like a bookstore or airport or whatever and just start flipping through it without knowing if it's safe, what kind of magazine is it? 
Have you researched it at all? Don't watch a TV series or movie without researching the parental reviews. Now, this might sound insulting to you, but listen, that's what we do that. I know that we're not kids, but like we need common sense media, you know, that website that just lays it out. Here's the violence, here's the language, here's the sexual content, and it takes about like 3.2 seconds to determine, yeah, we ain't watching this one. It's not going to happen. Or you feel like, oh, okay, this is, maybe there's a few bad words. You know, you, you, can't, you, can, you can assess it intelligently and make the decision of whether you should move forward with it. You're in control. It's not just coming at you. Surprise. And listen, don't go by the ratings. You know, oh, I don't watch R movies. Who cares? That's, that means nothing. There is PG-13 that is practically pornography. There's PG movies, the older ones especially, that are just, you don't go by the ratings. Look it up. Look up Common Sense Media. I think IMDB has parental guides and, and that kind of thing. Be smart and selective in what you set before your eyes. Some good questions to ask yourself. Is this going to tempt me or pollute me? Is this something Jesus would approve of? Why do I want to watch this? Is it necessary or important to watch? Is it redemptive in any way? Are women objectified? Is sex cheapened? Again, I'm not saying not to watch anything, but these are just questions that you, you have to be thinking like this in the, in the image universe or else you're going to be polluted. This process of researching things takes time. You know, it's very, very easy, too easy to just flick on the TV or just start scrolling stuff or just searching stuff on the internet. You have to be more in control of what you put before your eyes. The last principle is this, and then I'll end. Vigilance. Vigilance. By this, I mean that when you are staring at images, like maybe you're, maybe you're on social media. I'm not on social media very often. I'm almost never on Facebook. Maybe once a week or so, Instagram, maybe more frequently, sometimes. Sometimes I go a whole month. But I'll just kind of catch up and see what's happening. I'm careful who I, you know, friend and all that. But... When you're doing that or when you're watching television or a movie or in a movie theater or whatever, listen, be alert. Be in the spirit. This is the problem that, that we, we fall into is the television or the social media becomes that like time when we let our guard down and we're spiritually exhausted and tired and we just sort of drink from the fountain of just junk, right? Now, we don't go too far, right? Because, you know, we're Christian, but it, it, we, can, we can just start to just allow stuff to get in. We have to be in the spirit. Fine, watch a movie. I love movies. I, I have a list of really good movies to watch. And they're not all perfectly aligned with the Christian faith, that's for sure. There are certain scenes or words or whatever, that you, violence and stuff that I, I watch a pretty wide range of movies. But listen, when you watch a movie, be in the spirit when you do. Be on your guard. Be sober when you're doing that. Have God's word hidden in your heart. Every idea being communicated in every image or every scene of a movie projected should be, listen, filtered through the lens of the word of God within you. If, for example, you watch a show and two of the characters uh, have sex, maybe not graphic, but it's implied, we should be internally bothered by that. It shouldn't be, we gotta be careful that it's like, oh, it's, it's normal, normal. Oh, it's a couple, yeah, it's uh, I mean, even uh, whatever, it's uh, you know, PG movie or something in this. Oh, okay, I guess they just slept together. 
something inside of us is saying, no, no, that's, that, that's wrong. That's wrong. There should be a little grief there. When we hear sinful language or when we hear sinful talk about women or the objectifying of women, this, there should be a, a grief. And it, again, it's hard. To, I mean, you just watch news programs. You just watch, it's like anything. It's, it's so much out there. It's hard to, again, you, you're not going to get away from it all. But when you do see it, be in the spirit and make sure you're feeling something inside. Being vigilant also enables you to respond quickly if content appears that the parental review did not mention, which does happen occasionally, though they're pretty accurate. But it enables you to look away or shut it off. I mean, there's been some shows that my wife and I have watched, and we were like, yeah, I think this is fine, it looks fine, researched it, and then, we're, whoa, this is not, we're done, we're out, we're gone, we shut it down, we're not doing this anymore, we're not, we're not continuing in this series, seems like a compelling story, but the content is too polluted, not worth it. Have the remote close by. Don't let something come on to you. Well, where's the remote? It's under the pillow. It's under the, it's under the thing. You know, you're scrambling all around. There's like, you know, the volume's loud and, you know, there's grunting and groaning and it's, uh, images are getting in your head as you're like, just have the remote next to you. All right? If you're going to watch something, be in the spirit, be in control, be careful. Above all, you know, because there are so many principles that we could give, ultimately, what will keep us pure is a deep, intimate relationship with God and a desire to not do anything to grieve him or to cloud our relationship with him. That really is the supreme keeper it's actually called the fear of the Lord in scriptures. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Make sure you walk in the fear of the Lord. Thanks for letting me go a little long this morning. I know this was long. Like I said, I had probably three, four times as much content, and I tried to reduce it down. But thank you for listening and taking this to heart. Um, May God make us a community of men and women who are pure and holy. Thanks for listening.